Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on Focus on Why, I am joined by the one and only Kat Settle. Kat, welcome. Oh, thank you, Amy. It's great to be here. Episode 168. Who'd have thought? How did I get there here? A whole year of podcasts already. That's amazing. It's just such an incredible achievement. You've been really busy doing them. I know everybody's been loving them, but that's just 168. Crikey. Yeah. And and you said that's a special number. What's so special about 168? Tell me. Uh, (laughs) It's massively recurring in my life in all sorts of random ways, but it's a number that I notice all the time. I've noticed it right the way through from childhood. So I'll tell you the first one because it is hilarious. Having to guess in our class in school in Sunderland how many pennies were in the bottle and I guessed £1.68, and I was right, and I won the Easter egg. And then it's just carried on, different things. So I've lived at number 168. I've lived in a village on the A168, and then I had a lovely moment one day when I realised that um, there's 168 hours in a week, so I like that as well. And it's just been my number. It's, it's It's my first three lottery card numbers, if I ever have a lottery card, 168, and it's just, I don't know, it is just random stuff. So to be on your episode 168, it's just amazing and uh, I've just actually spoken last week and shared this number in a zoom on the book club and there's a lady one of our book clubbers who is she said I've got to tell you about the Chinese background to that number so it's the last thing on 168 she said it's a really you must be secretly Chinese it's a really fortuitous number said first of all it's got the hundred in it that's that's a very good number in Chinese then she said six is all about success and things being straightforward and no bumps in the road everything's smooth everything's plain sailing law of attractions working for you and then eight is all about abundance prosperity wealth she said so it's a really good number so I'm still in love with 168 so here I am 168 Fabulous. I love that. And it's funny because we do have these numbers that come up in our lives. And I know a lot of people who have these particular affinity to a number. Mine's 23 for some random reason. But yeah, there we go. It was a case of on a a, a roulette wheel at university. We were playing. We went. It was just for fun. We weren't playing for, for money or anything. But I had all these chips and I wanted to go and do something else at this big ball we were at. And I thought, oh, all in on 23. And then it came up. (laughs) <laughs> so ever, ever since then my lucky number has always been 23 but it's all good all good fun but I love I love that 168 pennies in the jar I mean that must have been a real treat yeah and that started what a good start a chocolate egg so I've just stuck with it since but 23 so have, is a good number 23 is, it? is a good number it's prime number as well so, oh, I see mm, there we go so how much has serendipity played a part in your life Oh, that's such a great question. And I do wonder, sometimes we pay attention to it in the moment, like we have done with the podcast today. And sometimes I think we see serendipity when we look in reverse, don't we? We see back and we can see connections and dots and how they join up. Um, I think now 
I think I'm quite passionate about law of attraction, which kind of switches you into paying attention. So I think maybe when you're looking a bit more and you're more open, you maybe spot serendipity more and act on it. So it's quite easy to go, oh, look at that, it's coincidence, then just pass on. But actually, I find myself saying, ah, that's a coincidence. Let me just observe it for a minute. Is there some action I should take? And then I'll be quite spontaneous. I think there's a relationship between serendipitous and spontaneity. <laughs> Bringing them together, you can make some interesting things happen. So, yeah, I'm aware of it. What, well, what do you think? Oh, well, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of, I think, it, as you say, it's probably the reticular activating system at play here. And, yeah. and also an element of luck. And as you said, that there's a law of attraction. But for me, a lot of it comes down to some just good hard graft majority of the time. And you are making all of these things happen. And so where a lot of people's sort of say or with especially with law of attraction and if you're sort of praying for that big check to arrive in the post you know I, I, I do have a bit of a news flash it's unlikely to happen in in the way that the sort of secret bands around however there are I do find that there are serendipitous moments that what goes around comes around and if you are paying it forward quite often things are are, are going to happen in that way so what is it you're doing right now Kat well what are you up to well, I'm a property investor, and so I'm busy with various projects at the moment there. And I suppose I would consider that to be my main uh, work at the moment. And then I'm property coach, which is something I just started about a year ago. And I love, absolutely love being in that space of helping others grow and find their own resources and, and do what they need to do and get very active in property. And then I'm also um, hosting a book club. Uh, which was really spontaneous thing, back to that word, um, that happened, about, I think, last September. I, I was just reading a book, really inspired by it, and I, I put a few posts out to say, oh, is anybody else following this system or implementing this? And I was rereading, actually, it's something I've done for a while, and it was, there was a deluge of response. I thought, gosh, that's really interesting, much more than I thought. So I thought, well, I'll do an Instagram Live and natter about it. And then that just had loads of people watch it, loads of feedback. And I thought, oh, we're just about to have a really interesting, put exchange that for any word you choose, winter of lockdown. Um, and it might be a really good idea to have a bit of community around reading some books. So anybody that's interested or that's been wanting to, but not been sticking with them, likes the idea of a bit of accountability and community around it. And it just started there. And by the time we got to... I'd say January I just thought I love this I love this so much this is the most effortless work every week it doesn't even feel like work and I think it will be kind of in my life and carrying forward forever now I just really really love it it's got me reading more and reading differently so from a sort of a selfish perspective um, it's interesting when you're reading thinking about presenting so you have a different relationship with the book when you're doing that and it's it's created a community of like-minded people that have got great outcomes from connecting and you know that go beyond just the reading so connections that have become friendships or accountability buddies or some business connections and networking as well so it's all just been really good so as you can see from the things I've told you I'm doing the main one that I'm really loving is the book club <laughs> 
It is interesting that you started off by saying that you were rereading. What what are you? What did you reread? What was the the instigation of this book club? Very first reread is a very very pragmatic book. It's the Twelve Week Year by Brian P. Moran, and it's a it's a very system based um, productivity focused book on how to be clear about what you want to achieve be very clear about not just what it is but how you're going to do it so which he refers to as tactics and drawing those up and then your own kind of self-management as to how you make sure you and he uses this word a lot in the book how you execute on your actions I have a real problem with that word I had to keep changing execute my head to implement but anyway execute um then talks about accountability and about scoring so real KPI approaches so it's all it's very methodical approach and I've been following that to a greater and lesser extent for many years and thought right I really want to step that up again now so went into rereading that book and yeah it went down very well a lot of people hadn't read it before and get involved I think we like the structure and the systemization of things uh, the whole thing is built on the premise that if we break down our goals into the time frame of 12 weeks we can get so much more done than if we plan goals for a year and just relax around them. So if you carry it through, your week starts to feel like a month. So you create the system creates a sense of clarity and urgency, which is really effective. So you get to have four weeks, four years in a year because you work through the four quarters. Brilliant. 12 weeks on, a week of reflection, and then you're off again 12 weeks on. So yeah, lots of momentum built around that. And uh, I've had lots of great feedback from people still following that now and seeing a big impact on their productivity. Well, I'm a big fan of reflection, and I, I, I get that whole week where you, you then analyse what you've done in that 12 weeks preceding. And it's funny you say execute because, you know, when, I'm, when, I, when I read that book or I, when I read that book, I, all I could think of was being an ex- executioner. And I was like, well, that doesn't work either. I, I can't be an executioner. That, that's not the right use of the word at all. But to execute what he shares in the book, it does make loads of sense of getting the clarity and the sense of urgency. And forcing yourself to really group down or, or sort of pull into a, a tightened time frame, which obviously pushes away procrastination because you are not deliberating or push or or sort of putting off what you can do now. You're sort of, well, if it's a focus, then get it done. So it's a great, it's a great book and a great concept. And even if you just take away that concept of of pulling things into a tighter time frame and and especially when you are working on any project it's parkinson's law effectively isn't it yeah 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 you want and also a little bit of Pareto as well because you want to be really focused on the things that make the biggest difference i really like in his book how he does that approach around tactics he talks about lead and lag indicators and i suppose one of the biggest themes i've taken out of a lot of books is being able to trust your process to actually focus on the inputs the things that you're doing your actions which come out of this sort of tactics and don't worry so much about the outcomes that be a lag indicator because they'll come. It's just that whole process of making sure you're consistent and you've chosen your sort of five main things that really do take you towards the outcome. So it's, there's discipline, clarity, discipline. At the end of the day, and I always find this because this is the biggest challenge I have. It does boil down to your discipline in the moment, to your greatness in the moment. Because even with all that in place, actually, you still can choose to do it and you can just as easily choose not to do it. 
So accountability is good in it. Having a weekly action meeting, accountability meeting, I should say, with a buddy. Uh, I would say out of that book, that's one of the most powerful practices is actually just to have somebody you're connecting with. That means that you're checking in and saying, how did you do? How, why was it challenging? What might change? And what are you doing next week? Simple as, but very effective. And it was a while ago that I read it, but I, I seem to recall that he says also about accountability being about being accountable to yourself more than any, yeah. having anybody else. It's all it's all well and good having an accountability buddy, but it's also about you being responsible for your own actions. And it, it's something that I take I say all the time, which is that knowledge is of no use unless you apply it. And it's, it's a checkoff quote. It's not mine, but it but the action is so important to to take that and only really you are going to be able to to govern whether that happens or not massively and that you just made me think about my favorite book straight away because there's a big focus on that in um, Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective people his first habit is be proactive and it that focuses in on your personal integrity so you, per, you call some personal victories which is as simple as doing what you say you're going to do to yourself so doing the things that you've planned and um, committed to do and be accountable to yourself for doing them. And the outcome of whether you do or you don't is higher self-esteem or lower self-esteem. And, and when you sort of put it in that context, you know, everybody thinking about that, you can feel it straight away. You know how you feel if you set out to do something and then you don't bother versus how you feel if you set out to do something and you've done it. And so, you know, each decision you make around those personal victories has a profound effect on your overall effectiveness and then the next level which he, he covers in his later like the, the the second three habits where he goes into interpersonal stuff interdependent relationships is that whole public declaration so if you are saying to somebody else that you're going to do something well then the outcomes of that are you do them and you build trust or you don't do them and you break trust he has that great theory in that book around the emotional bank account you you'd have read that's such it's such a sticky concept once you learn in that book about this idea of an emotional bank account you can't unlearn it you'll never forget it because it just is profound and makes so much sense you know are you making deposits into your emotional bank account with your colleagues with your family with your friends or are you making withdrawals and it often it, it is just coming down to this simple thing do you say what you're going to do or don't you so oh yeah oh god these books are so good I love it. I, I, my my favourite principle that he shares, the habit from Stephen Covey's book is first seek to understand and then be understood. And that one for me has been probably the best parenting tip that I've also been able to apply, not so not just in business, but just in life as a whole. And it has stopped so many arguments in their tracks. It's 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 built hugely successful relationships and between myself and, and well, both my husband and I and the children and it is around the trust because they, they've always felt that they've been understood and I it was a, one of the reasons why I also taught them sign language as, as young babies so that they could communicate and we could understand oh gosh that's incredible because uh, that's so wise there's so much self-awareness and insight in what you've done there just to connect so that you've got that channel of communication but there's because once you're communicating, you've got the opportunity to help each other be more self-aware as well. It isn't just about 
awareness of the other person. There's this whole exchange going on, isn't there? And you bring your self-awareness to that by opening the opportunity to communicate better. Yeah, the word help was the first word that we, well, one of the first words we taught them. Oh. Yeah, because then they could help one another. Yeah, that they wanted help. Yeah. And it was okay to ask for help. Perfect. So, oh gosh, that's so profound. I don't know, you, you're you very wise. I, I think I only really started to understand the difficulties around communication and, and seeking first to understand before being understood in parent-child relationships. Once I was experiencing frustrations and difficulties with my daughter, so probably around age, her being age three, four. And what I learned kind of having gone through frustrations and difficulties that when you got or when I got emotional as a parent when I was getting cross um it was because I didn't understand it is as simple as that so what you're doing is seeing a set of behavior that's that's really difficult to deal with so you're reacting to it without taking the time to say well what's actually generating the behavior because if you understand the minute you understand a child's reason why it deals with the whole reaction thing. It's like, oh, I understand now. And it gets rid of that sort of reactive response and emotion. So, gosh, you've been wise to spot I've that been so early. Focusing on why for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but it must have been paying incredible dividends. Uh, how were the teenage years with your kids? Absolutely fine. Yeah. yeah. Touch, touch wood, we're, we're all good. Uh, but it has been a case of we didn't have the, the sort of tantrums when they were little and that there has always been an open, open communication. Obviously, it's not perfect. It never, you know, lots of things happen and, and there are lots of different dynamics, but there's always been a great trust and an understanding. And that's been fam- fabulous. I think it'd be really good if we could have more books that are around that communication and understanding the parent-child and also between children, you know, from quite a young age. I, I was very fortunate to have been brought up in a household where self-awareness, self-discovery, self-development was known, talked about, people gathered in the house to explore it from all different places and book writers and so on. But I think in general, you're not exposed to that as a topic or a concept. It's not going on in nurseries particularly, or certainly in information for parents around nurseries or in preschool or infant school. Or It's just not there. So we're kind of still left to our own devices as parents, aren't we, to figure it all out. Um, but that, yeah, we maybe need to get writing some books, Amy, in that genre. Oh, it's, it's really interesting because you just reminded me. It was the first thing my daughter realised that she could then communicate with her younger brother, and you know it just kept on going because I, I I forgot that they would be able to use it as well. I always assumed it would be you know from from parents to children, but then it was brilliant because Holly would then come and say, "Oh, Edward needs this and Edward needs that," because she'd worked it out as well, and she you know it was great. So the help one, obviously there was food, there was sleep, there was, and that was a great one to say that there were tired they could actually communicate I need to go to sleep and things like that so oh yeah brilliant we we would definitely so let's take it back to what were you doing before property investing and property coaching and the fabulous book club because I know we could talk about books all day Kat oh yeah easily (laughs) um well various different jobs so moved around a lot and didn't really have a um plan 
So I just kind of came out of university um, and started a job because I needed to write a thesis for my master's degree. And that kind of placement ended up being a job. So a bit of like here and there. But what happened was I ended up working consistently in income generation, which is interesting. So looking at projects, so contribution based works in all sorts of capacities, whether it's social change or it was infrastructural development or whatever it was. And working in getting access to grants or government funds or what have you. So did that for in many guises in the public sector, in further education, in the charity sector. I did it in the private sector for companies, big global corporations looking to do big projects, third world development projects. And then I had a consultancy briefly of my own for a while. So it's kind of petering along like that, pottering along and not very settled. And uh, and partway through that got pregnant. Out of wedlock, totally shocking in our family. Uh, still quite young, 24. And uh, so started um, knowing that I was going to be on my own. And sure enough, was on my own from four months pregnant. And so I started also being single mum, which was absolutely the best decision I have ever made in my life. The most significant, important, life-changing decision ever. Um, so what that then changed me because once my daughter Dana was starting school I kind of needed to stop going on aeroplanes and flying off here there and everywhere and moving from city to city chasing different jobs I thought right we better just be sensible for a bit and I joined the civil service at the time it was a government agency and later we were absorbed into civil service um so before property that's where I still was it's the only time I stayed in one job for nine years or with one employer for nine years and um, in those nine years I fought to keep my job seven times because I joined just as um, the government well we had the financial crisis and the government was cutting back massively and when I joined there's 365 of us when I left, there were 17. Now, not everybody had been made redundant in between, but they'd certainly been moved around and a lot had been made redundant. Um, and I was finding the stress level was so high. In that process, we were given less resources and responsibilities. It sounds so strange. No longer a budget holder, no longer a decision maker, which is weird to think that that increases your stress level. But it does when it's it, you're not fulfilled and you don't really know what the point of everything is anymore. Um, and then just that process of dealing with decisions about people that were staying and people that were going. Um, and hours and hours and hours and hours at work and hours and hours and hours not with my daughter. So I just reached a real crescendo where I thought, I, I just can't bear this. I can't see myself doing this, working for other people pointlessly, it felt like for another 20 or 30 years and I the stress is doing me and I could barely get myself to cross the road to get into the front door of the office building and my, my daughter at this point was then a teenager and going through teenage um, sort of challenges and changes and so I just very cheesy it's the same story <laughs> came across the book rich dad poor dad and saw that there was another way and thought right if I'm going to do property investment, I have to get trained. There's no way. I, I just don't trust myself to do it well enough. I've got a weight of the world on my shoulders. It's down to me and me alone to provide for my daughter and 
keep the house and I need to do it properly. I need to know what I'm doing. So I did. I went and spent a fortune on a training course, which was excellent. It was really good. It added lots of value and it really did make the difference and got me started in property. So that was it. I was definitely going. I wanted to get away from the situation I was in. And I can remember being encouraged, you know, when you think about why you do something. I was being encouraged to think about the things I was trying to go toward positive wise and I just couldn't I was was just in that much pain wanting to get away from the situation I was in so full of regret for having constantly been dropping my daughter at breakfast club after school club and taking her dropping her for a week here a week there a week somewhere else all the way through holidays and all that stuff I'd missed and I just that's what I was consumed with the only positive thing I could come up with was that I wanted to be able to eat in any restaurant anywhere in the world without looking at the price because <laughs> I love food love eating love food I couldn't think couldn't visualize anything else I just wanted to get out of the situation I was in so that's what turned me to property and I did it very steadily very methodically very carefully learning terrified every step of the way until you sort of grow you just grow and get used to one thing and then get used to the next thing and and I'm still just kind of carrying on but uh, like I suppose the difference is at the moment I've got four projects kind of called spinning plates and I wouldn't have ever done that in the early years that would have been too much so able to do it at a bit of a bigger volume and I've been able to do it all because of people trusting investing in me and bringing resource to me that so that I can get on and get busy with it so money raising has been a really big part of it for me you know I sat in that classroom years ago and thought nobody's ever going to give you money to do this but actually people do because it's you know you're looking at what returns you're giving to them what you're doing for them in the process of investing their money rather than a bridging company's money or whatever. And, and that's been a really big part of my journey doing that. And in fact, it's the bit I love most in the business is working with people that invest. And that sets my schedule, you know, it sets my strategy. It makes me feel, and I do feel hugely accountable. It's what motivates me to get on and, you know, get on with what I'm doing because I almost feel, I suppose it might be the employer mindset never leaving me. I feel like I'm working for other people as well as myself. So that all really fits together for my psychology. So you're not going to tell me your why is so that you can eat in any restaurant in the world. Well, do you know, I still struggle with my why. It's never really gone like I've I've tried the approach of thinking oh well I'll do it until I earn this much a month and that just doesn't mean anything to me that's definitely not the right approach for me um and then I had some really big whys for a while which uh to eat to do with oh I really want to learn to sail and I'd love to have a beach house in the Caribbean and like another house down in Hamble so I can keep my sailing experience there and actually I don't want all of that because I just want a nice simple life (laughs) So it keeps moving, but the big the big whys are really simple for me. They're they're about financial security and choice and freedom of time. And what that looks like for me is just a good quality of life where I can go where I want, when I want, with who I want. And I spend my quality time is with my daughter and my family. And I want to be in a position where I think I can be there if anybody needs to lean on me that's really close to me. But the things that really matter to me are always about 
contribution and growth. And they're not, um, there's no materialism to them. They're about how you're spending your time. So, yeah, my why is more about being able to inspire myself, I guess, others, grow, make a difference. Sounds cheesy, doesn't it? It's not. I, those are the things that really make me feel like I've had a good day. And it, there's, a, there's a point to it all uh, where I don't, I can't, I just still cannot hang my hat on material things not because I think I'm a do-gooder I just it just doesn't resonate with me you know nice bottle of wine does nice meal out does (laughs) I'm not bothered about cars and jewels or anything like that well based where you are amongst all the sheep in the middle of nowhere I can I can see how that wouldn't really you know you've got no one to impress and no one to sort of flash your car at it not that you're that sort of person at all so all good so actually your why is more about your who you're where and your when so it's all about who you're with where you are and and being able as you say with that time to to do that when you want so it doesn't it's not cheesy at all Kat and you say about inspiring and and growth and wanting to make a difference what will the what's the big what's the big making a difference what's the piece where you you sort of say not that it's ever going to be a finished piece of work but what are the, the sort of motivations there now I think it's you know it's a collection of lots of little things so um when you're asked to look forward to go back in a book so you get books that will say just imagine you're at your own funeral but you're able to listen in to see who's there and what people are saying about your life and I'm a massive believer that you, you actually make a difference to people in terms of how they feel in smallest of moments so actually just being present enough goes back to you and your seek first to understand before being understood. There will be hundreds of times where the fact that you've done that has completely transformed that moment for the other person. You know, it's given them something that they didn't have before, given them an insight, given them some encouragement or inspiration, and it makes a big difference. So that's, it. I would feel really as if I was fulfilled if there were large numbers or it might be small numbers it doesn't matter but people that are saying gosh I remember the time when Kat said this or listened to me and it made a fundamental difference because I know I can remember in my life various people where they've shown up and it has made a massive difference to me it's it's illuminated a new path of thought or of action that wasn't there before or it's just lifted you at the time where you just needed to just be given that nudge to do something that you're perhaps hesitating and so that's it it's lots of little things I think we've got we've all got the the wherewithal to think about our language and our behavior and be self-aware in the moment um but we're often not because we're we're dealing with whatever's going on we're processing stuff we're busy and what have you so I suppose it's just that quest to be present um and then with something like the book club that's a little bit more like I'm generating that in a way so that's exciting for me as something that you can or that I'm putting in place but then I'm, I'm observing and seeing all these incredible interactions between other people and so that's part of I can see that going long term for me and developing into you know book club and perhaps some workshops that help with vision clarity goal setting 
time management, dealing with resistance, whatever it is, but self-awareness ultimately, and then working on personal growth. Um, and I, I just think what a great body of work because all of that's positively driven for the right reasons to help others to be more, be you know, that want to, that recognize that oh, actually, you know, I want to grow. So that's that's it for me. If I can if I can get to the end of my life and I've done a good 20, 30 years of that, I will feel that I have made a contribution. Yeah. Well, I know that your book club makes a huge contribution already. You know, it really does have a great ripple effect. And I talk about ripple effects a lot in, in my podcast because of the ability to transmit to a wider audience. You, you never know what is going to happen as a result of sharing the, the piece of knowledge that you just shared or when the guests come on and they're sharing different insights or, or observations or reflections or moments that, as you say, and I, I've just written down, it's the little moments that make the big differences because that's, you know, that's what you said. And what I want to go back to, Kat, is I want to understand how early you were aware of self-awareness because it seems to be that it's been something that's come through and you, you've been a lot more aware from a younger age. Is that the case? I, I think so. And some of it is because of the environment I was in. But actually, I can think of a very strange awareness I had at a very, very young age, very, very young, having a conversation with my older brother, two years older than me. I would have been five or six. It's that young. And it's I, I can place myself because we used to move house a lot. So I can see where we were. And we had this strange conversation about the bricks in the house. And we had an argument, which is great. I love an argument discussion. So for some reason, I decided that, you know, God was responsible for the brick. I'm not profoundly religious, but in my five-year-old head, I didn't know a lot about spirituality, but I knew about Christianity at that age. So God, I said, God, God's definitely made that brick, to which my brother was saying, absolutely, don't be ridiculous sort of thing. But in seven-year-old language, you're stupid. No, he hasn't. <laughs> um, but I had a real sense that everything was connected. And that's what I then explained to my brother in this discussion to say, yes, but the brick's made of this and of that, and that's come from the earth. And I can remember having that conversation. So I think I had a, a natural predisposition to look at things and think there's some why are these things the way they are. But then growing up, as we went into, we moved to, we were in Sunderland then, we moved to Birmingham, and we were there when we started to be teenagers. And my dad worked in education, but in the background of it, in the authority, and he was really interested in student-centered learning. And as part of that, he was affiliating himself with people that were interested in psychology, self-awareness, self-development. And he used to host evenings in our home and all these amazing people would come in, some of it from different parts of our country and from different parts of the world with lots of different experience. And they, my parents allowed us to be present if we wished to be, and I did, so I was always present. And listening and picking things up and... Uh, I just was fascinated by the whole thing. There's a lady called Donna Brandis from America who had a book that she'd written called The Gamester's Handbook. And she also wrote it in, she titled a limited edition number of them as The Hamster's Game Book, which is quite funny. But she had developed a number of interactive games that got you to think about your own awareness and your presuppositions, I suppose, and where you perhaps got a map of the world. And how, so uh, that got me. And my parents, had the first this is 
a, a really important book for me. They had lots of books, but the one that I picked up was the one that looked intriguing. And it was Jonathan Livingston Siegel by Richard Bach. And I think reading that, I think I can't remember exactly what age I was. It would have been somewhere between 12 and 14. One of those ages, still really young. And um, I don't know if people have read it. If you haven't, you must get it. It's, it's a very unique book. You'll find it all over Wikipedia. It's well written about. And it is about a seagull, <laughs> but it's a metaphor for life and being self-aware, noticing differences, sensing that you want to strive and questioning why that is, looking for betterment and then looking more spiritually uh, as well and how you evolve and where that takes you. And then teaching, it's got all those bits in through the story of the life of a seagull. And I think that... Um, made me feel that it didn't matter if I was different to other kids at school I was going to very big inner city comprehensive at the time so it was quite everybody was different to lots you know it's teenagers tricky and um, and that anything could be possible it would require hard work and that you were allowed to dream and I think having that at that young age was quite amazing really and also exposure to adults who talked to me like I was an adult not like a kid and had very interesting discussions about psychology and philosophy and what was happening in society. So I was very blessed. And my dad's always interested me in that sense, still does. We still have really interesting conversations on the phone about exactly this sort of thing. And then my mum lent more spiritually. So I got that side as well as she started to explore more spiritual philosophies as well so very very blessed to have had those influences it's funny isn't it again we, we, we've sort of circled right back to that serendipitous moment of picking a book off the shelf that has had such an impact of enlightenment and betterment and awareness for you and and now you know you're taking books into other people's lives because you know how much of an effect it can have and I, I love that we're sort of wrapping up now talking about this this piece that you 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 picked up this fabulous metaphor for life and and yet it has become a way of living mm, it is a way of living you can't unlearn these things when they open and they do open your mind um I love any book that has a paradigm shift in it that moment where you just go oh and suddenly there's a light on something in a different way. And you have a moment where you think, I've never thought that before. And you you expand naturally because you've gone into a different space of what might be possible or how you understand yourself. And I really think you, you can't stop learning, which is great. There's always new stuff. But it's that self-reflection, it's how you how you interact with the book. I say this a lot in the book club, actually. Uh, what's fascinating when we come together as a community is we've read the same book, but we each have a unique experience with it. So there's a real, if you're aware of that, I think you become much more conscious in your reading. So you can see how one person reads the book and takes three or four key messages from it. Another person takes a completely different set of messages. It's the same book, but there's something about what we're ready for when we pick it up. So I'm a massive fan of rereading for that reason, because you can go back to the same book and have a deeper experience or a different experience because you've come to it at that time ready for a different set of messages. It's that 
saying, isn't it? When when the student is ready, the teacher will arrive. I think that's very true when you're lifting off the page of a book. And one of my one of my aspirations for the book club is that it grows big enough that actually we can get the authors in the room because the author's version of the messages in the books, of course, is the first version. And I think it would be so fascinating to, to have them talk and uh, express their thoughts around their first version and also how they interact then with people's interpretations. I think the whole thing is a rich learning ground. So the, the self-reading and then the community as well, and the interchange and interactions that happen between us, just wonderful. And it is, it is as you say, you, you listen to a, a podcast in the same way that when you listen to an episode and people do this with me, that they, they take these different experiences, different learnings and different takeaways. And that's why I intersperse after every five episodes, my own reflections and observations, because I, I, I take away things from listening back to these episodes. But I know that if I went back and listened to those early episodes, I would hear different things because I'm at a different time time in my life now and that's why there is so much value in in rereading of books or listening to podcasts and it's having that as you say that awareness of, of what your filter is and why your filter is working in that way and maybe it sometimes is your filter actually working for you is it aligned with your values is it aligned with your mission and your series of filters what questions are you asking or or challenging yourself when you're reading a book yeah, those are such important points. I think my, you know, my biggest takeaway from all the reading and around the personal growth area is that self-awareness is the foundation. So even in reading of a book, why are you choosing that book? What's your intention at the beginning? Check in with yourself and then consciously read the book. So you're you're not necessarily just taking the prescription from the book. You're questioning whether that's right for you at that time. And you're adopting the bits that are resonating with you as a unique experience. So, yeah, self-awareness, absolutely at the foundation of every opportunity to grow. That's fantastic. And Kat, how would people get in touch with you? Oh, the best way is Instagram. I'm on everything, but Instagram is the most sort of up to date and where we host the book club uh, lives. So I'm Kat Settle Property, very easy, with a C. <laughs> got one of those names you always have to say with a c cat with a c so cats out of property we do the book club i do a live 11 a.m every wednesday uk time and then actually we jump on at 12 noon in clubhouse those of us that fancy really chatting about what's what's been covered i do a synopsis of two to three chaps of whatever book we're reading and actually we're just starting a new book on or we'll have started it on the 5th of may wednesday the 5th of may yeah absolutely so I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. This episode is 168. I know it's a great number for you. Yes. Uh, I have two, two questions left to ask you, Kat. Firstly, where is that restaurant that you want to go to in the world? And secondly, can you leave us with a final words as well, please? Okay, so there are lots of restaurants that I'd like to go to in the world, but there is one in Stockholm in Sweden. I can't even remember what it's called now, Ron, but there's a real proper Michelin starred restaurant there. And that's the one that I want. That's top of the list. I want to go there. That's full of lots of raw fish and strange uh, fermenting things. And I'm fascinated by those things. <laughs> 
<laughs> not everybody's cup of tea. Um, and my, I guess my parting words would be around, um, yeah, around self-awareness. Get on the bandwagon. All growth begins with self-awareness. So um, if anybody wants to join for the first time or to get back involved with books and so on, you, you can't go wrong. You're going to grow. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrollinson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.